Good Monday morning breaking news. A massive earthquake rocks Syria and Turkey. A staggering death toll this morning. It is February 6th. This is today. Devastation. More than 1,300 people killed in a powerful earthquake, toppling buildings across hundreds of miles, thousands more injured. A frantic search for survivors underway this morning. Complete coverage straight ahead. Fallout off the coast of South Carolina, the race to gather sensitive debris this morning after the U.S. shoots down that Chinese spy balloon over the Atlantic. Just ahead, what the Chinese are saying about what it was doing here. And Republicans rip the president for waiting too long to act. Tackling the quarterback after the game is over. Um, the, The satellite had completed its mission. What's next in the high stakes showdown between the U.S. and China? Breaking overnight, emergency evacuations. I need you to leave now. Officials sound a new alarm at the site of that fiery train derailment burning for days in Ohio. Fears of a catastrophic explosion that could release hazardous chemicals and dangerous shrapnel up to a mile. We'll have the very latest. Warm welcome. The week starts with above average temperatures stretching from New Mexico to Maine on the heels of that brutal blast of once in a generation cold this weekend. Your full forecast just ahead. Those stories plus countdown to kickoff. The Chiefs and Eagles arrive in Arizona to begin Super Bowl week inside the preparations for players and fans ahead of the biggest game of the year. And music's biggest night. Beyonce becomes the most awarded artist in Grammy history. Be upstanding and show your respect. It's Renaissance, Beyonce. While Harry Styles is left speechless, grabbing album of the year. And the celebration of 50 years of hip hop that got everyone out of their seats. Today, Monday, February 6th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. Nice to have you with us at the beginning of another week. Yeah, it was a great Grammys last night. And by the way, so many surprises, including as we discussed... Bonnie Raitt taking home Song of the Year, which was, was another surprise after Beyonce, so shocked of and course. Then Beyonce making history. Oh, it was history. Beyonce's night, of course. Lots to talk about yeah, from the we'll Grammys. Get to it. We're going to also bring you the latest on another story that people are watching all weekend. That Chinese spy balloon shot down off the Carolina coast. Well, crews are now searching for wreckage amid lingering questions. What was it tracking and what does it mean for U.S.-China relations? New details just ahead. But we will begin with this breaking news overnight. Scenes of devastation coming in from southern Turkey and Syria after one of the region's most powerful earthquakes on record. The death toll and injuries rising steadily and dramatically. The U.S. offering assistance with images like the ones you're seeing playing out. We've got a live look at one of the debris piles just being searched as we speak. NBC's chief international correspondent Keir Simmons joins us with the latest now on this breaking news. Kier, good morning. Savannah, good morning to you. This is a catastrophe in a war-torn part of the world that has bitter experience of catastrophic events, and it keeps getting worse. The first earthquake, 7.8 magnitude. We are now hearing, Savannah, of another earthquake in the same area, 7.6 magnitude, and earth and aftershocks in cities in Iraq. And Savannah, the numbers are stunning. Almost 3,000 buildings have collapsed. More than 1,300 people 
have been killed and that number inevitably will rise. Thousands have been injured and thousands, Savannah, are now on their way to try and take part in this desperate rescue operation. Whole buildings collapsing from the earthquake's power. Unable to stand against this quake, almost eight on the Richter scale. The morning light revealing devastation and wreckage. A toddler in Syria, bloody but conscious, pulled from the rubble. And other survivors taken from collapsed buildings, lucky to be alive. Three huge tremors, snapping streetlights and sending car alarms wailing. The moments recorded on security camera footage. This is one of the region's worst quakes in decades, striking while people slept just after 4 a.m. The quake hitting a huge area of southern Turkey and northern Syria, an area already war-torn with hundreds of refugees. The tremors felt as far as Beirut, Jerusalem and Gaza. In northern Syria, they are searching for survivors in opposition-held territory. Hospitals there already overwhelmed with the injured. We need help. We need the international community to do something to help us, to support us. Turkey's President Erdogan said rescue workers will be joined by troops to search for survivors, but they have a vast area to cover. Those searching, calling for silence as they try and listen for trapped survivors. This rescuer asking someone trapped, what colour are you wearing? Are you wearing pink? A frantic rush to find those caught in the rubble. The White House offering to provide any and all assistance to Turkey, although the statement left out any reference to the U.S. working directly with Syria. Kira, 7.8 magnitude quake. Can you just put that into perspective for us? Yeah. Well, Savannah, scientists say 7.8 is equivalent to 32 Hiroshima bombs. And remember, as I mentioned at the top there, we are now hearing of another earthquake of a similar magnitude. And you know, Savannah, I have spent plenty of time in that region along the Turkish-Syria border. It is a place with many war refugees, many people living in destitution without electricity. This truly is a tragedy piled upon tragedy, Savannah. Ugh, Karen, we're just beginning to take the toll this morning. Thank you very much. Another major story this morning, the ongoing drama surrounding that Chinese spy balloon shot down off the South Carolina coast this weekend. The Navy and Coast Guard are now working to recover as much debris as possible so it can all be analyzed and studied. This as President Biden faces criticism from Republicans and Chinese officials for the administration's handling of the incident. We have two reports. We're going to start with NBC's chief foreign affairs correspondent, Andrea Mitchell, with us in Studio 1A. Hey, Andrea, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. Well, while the search of the debris field continues, FBI experts are trying to assess the intelligence damage. But the more immediate problem for the White House could be the political controversy as Republicans go on the attack, even though the Biden administration says China sent three balloons into U.S. airspace during the Trump administration, though never for this duration. As Navy divers search for debris, this video shows what appears to be part of the balloon being brought back to shore Sunday. Ships are canvassing a 10-mile debris field in shallow waters, with the FBI on hand to start analyzing the wreckage as police seek help from beachgoers. If any debris washes up, we need to know about it right away. Defense officials say the balloon, with a payload the size of three buses, 
first entered U.S. airspace over the Aleutian Islands last Tuesday. Tracked by NORAD, it moved to Canada, re-entering U.S. airspace over Idaho Wednesday, flying at 60,000 feet. Two senior officials tell NBC News U-2 spy planes were circling the balloon as it flew across the country, capturing images and data. China says it was a weather balloon that drifted off course, but the U.S. says it was a spy balloon with China managing its direction. Although the balloon flew over Montana, which has 150 missile sites, U.S. officials say they mitigated its surveillance capabilities without providing specifics on how. Once the balloon reached the Atlantic coast, it was shot down with a single Sidewinder missile from an F-22 fighter jet. We have eyes on the balloon falling. A spokesperson for the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs responding this morning, calling it an unacceptable and irresponsible action. China raised eyebrows over the weekend, saying that they retained the right to respond further. Meanwhile, Republicans slammed President Biden for not shooting it down immediately. The president taking it down over the Atlantic is sort of like the quarterback, sort of like tackling the quarterback after the game is over. Um, the the satellite had completed its mission. On Saturday, the president said his military advisors did not want to risk harming civilians or damaging property with falling debris. I ordered the Pentagon to shoot it down on Wednesday as soon as possible. They decided that the best time to do that was it got over water. The biggest question puzzling top U.S. officials, why would China's President Xi risk sending a spy balloon across the entire United States, clearly visible from the ground, knowing it would blow up a high-stakes meeting with Secretary of State Blinken that was supposed to take place this weekend? Or was this a long-planned military operation not coordinated with China's president? Savannah? Well, those are good questions, Andrea. Thank you so much. And joining us now is Jeremy Bash, the former chief of staff at the CIA and Defense Department under the Obama administration. Jeremy, good morning. Andrea raises the question, why now? What's your analysis? Well, I think this is probably part of a long-running effort by the Chinese uh, PLA, their army, to field this capability, uh, high-surveillance airships to conduct uh, aerial surveillance of sensitive places. And although these balloons have approached the United States before, never before had it hung out for so long over so many sensitive sites. So I think President Biden was exactly right to order the military to shoot it down. Well, so let's and by the way, it was the first time we've shot down in enemy aircraft over the United States since World War II. Yeah, notable. I mean, explain the significance of where it was flying. You mentioned those, those missile sites, how sensitive it is. What is an aircraft like that capable of gleaning at that distance? What would it be looking for? Well, it's got probably high-resolution cameras. It probably doesn't have the most sophisticated technology because, of course, it's not stealthy. And we saw it in plain sight, so we could shoot it down. But it's probably staring down Savannah at our missile sites, at our uh, strategic command in Nebraska, at other places where we field our aircraft that carry our nuclear weapons. And so we've got to get it out of the sky. I think we have to develop a capability to reel in those balloons when they come down. We can't wait for them to go out over water. That's too far and too long. Look, one of the issues and criticism coming to the White House is how do you let a balloon like that fly across the continental United States and continue whatever mission it is on? The White House says oh, we were able to mitigate whatever kind of surveillance activity it might have been doing. How does that happen? How does that play out? 
Yeah, we're pretty good at that. We can cover things with tarps and doors and put things indoors, put aircraft in hangars. We can tell people to get off their unencrypted communications. We know how to defeat satellite surveillance. So this, I think, is fairly routine. And I think this was really the military's call about when it was safest to bring this down. This is about three buses worth of a payload. If you have that rain over several miles of a debris field, that could hit a kindergarten, a hospital. You don't want to risk American lives for an unmanned aircraft. And just real quickly, to broaden it out a little bit, the U.S. state of relations with China, I'm so struck by a general whose memo leaked. He was the head of Air Mobility Command and said, I hope I am wrong, but my gut tells me we will fight in 2025, a fighting war with China. I hope he's wrong, too. But President Xi Jinping has said he wants to build the capability to take Taiwan by 2027. So our military has to be ready. All right. Jeremy Bash, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Also breaking overnight, new evacuations ordered in northeastern Ohio amid mounting concerns over a catastrophic explosion at the site of a train derailment there. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is here with the very latest on that story. Hey, Gabe, good morning. Hoda, good morning. Federal investigators say the train was shipping cargo from Illinois to Pennsylvania when it derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. The governor has now deployed the National Guard to the scene. This morning, a potentially dangerous situation is developing in a small eastern Ohio community just outside Pittsburgh after a train derailment over the weekend. Now, a toxic threat, part of the wreckage containing hazardous materials at risk of a possible explosion that officials say could hurl harmful fumes and deadly shrapnel as far as a mile away. Multiple small explosions caused a massive fire after at least 10 cars believed to be carrying hazardous materials derailed. But overnight, officials are expressing even more concern, saying a temperature change to one of those rail cars is creating the possibility of a dire scenario. We've had a drastic change in the chemical uh, inside the tank cars of vinyl chloride. Um, We are at a uh, risk now of a catastrophic failure. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is now creating a one-mile evacuation zone, ordering some 2,000 people to leave the area kind of crazy for a small town like this. As of last night, the governor said an estimated 500 residents remained in the one-mile zone, warning that those with children who stay could be arrested for not complying with the urgent evacuation notice. We're at the point where um, we need you to leave. Um, There could be possible charges if you choose to stay. Federal investigators are on the scene trying to determine what caused the derailment. The crew did receive an alarm from a wayside defect detector shortly before the derailment, indicating a mechanical issue. Then an emergency brake application initiated. As officials work to minimize the dangers of the derailment, they say air quality and the water supply remain safe. We are not aware of any elevated readings that would we would anticipate to have impact to human health. So far, no injuries or deaths have been reported, but authorities are proceeding with extreme caution as they continue to monitor the crash site this morning. All right, Gabe, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, we have a lot more to cover this morning. Craig is with us. Good morning. Let me tell you, did you stay up at all last night? No, I want you to tell us about it. Oh, Savannah, the Grammys outdid themselves last night. Let's talk about music's biggest night of the year, the 65th Grammy Awards. It was a historic night in Los Angeles for a variety of reasons. NBC's Jason Kennedy was there. He joins us with all of the highlights. What a show. 
What a night. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, everybody. This was easily the most star-packed Grammys we've seen in a while. Heavy hitters like Beyonce, Adele, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, and so many more all in attendance. Beyonce setting a record for the most career Grammys, but perhaps the most surprising headline of the morning, the winner of one of the most competitive categories of the night, Album of the Year. Overnight, Harry Styles shined at the Grammys, taking home the night's top prize, Album of the Year for Harry's house. I don't think any of us sit in the studio thinking, making decisions based on what is going to get us one of these. This is really, really kind. I'm so, so grateful. It was also a huge night for Beyonce, who actually arrived late and missed her first award of the night for best R&B song. I was shocked to find out that traffic could stop you. I thought you traveled through space and time. We are witnessing history tonight. The Break My Soul singer broke the record for most career Grammy wins ever, taking home four statues on Sunday night, bringing her all-time total to 32. I'm trying not to be too emotional. And I'm trying to just receive this night. The evening filled with history-making moments. After a soulful performance by Lizzo, the artist earned her first Record of the Year Grammy for about damn time. And anybody at home who feels misunderstood or on the outside looking in like I did, just stay true to yourself. Get up here, best friend, Adele. While Adele raked in her 16th career Grammy with Easy On Me, winning Best Pop Solo Performance, which she dedicated to her son, Angelo. Oh, God, Rich, he, he said, don't cry. If you win anything tonight, don't cry. And here I am crying. The song Unholy earned Sam Smith and Kim Petras the award for Best Duo or Group Performance, making Petras the first trans person to win the category. I just want to thank all the incredible transgender legends before me who kicked these doors open for me so I could be here tonight. Still, it was a surprise win in the Song of the Year category, which went to music veteran Bonnie Raitt for Just Like That. This totally humbled. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The night's top performances included a hopping high-energy dance party, courtesy of Best Musica Urbana album winner Bad Bunny, and a multi-generational medley featuring a who's who of hip-hop, including Run DMC, Salt and Peppa, and LL Cool J, honoring the genre's 50th anniversary. I have to mention, guys, it was also a huge night for Viola Davis, the star clinching that coveted EGOT status with a Grammy for the audiobook of her memoir, Finding Me. The 57-year-old received a standing ovation when she presented Best R&B Song. Now with an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony, Davis joins the likes of Audrey Hepburn, Rita Moreno, Whoopi Goldberg, John Legend. Quite the accomplishment. Yes, well-deserved as well. Jason Kennedy, Jason, thank you. What a, it, what a show! I did. I, I could, I I, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I'll just watch this. A now. little bit. Then I'll watch this. And I'll t- and, and the 14 minute hip hop yeah, yeah, last night. That. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to have more on that a little later. Yeah, next hour. But it was a heck of a show. What was your favorite part? Well, there were so many great parts, but there was a young singer. Her name's Samara Joy. She won Best New Artist. She was here in Studio 1A. She's a jazz singer. Oh, wow. She can't even believe that she was in the room here. She's in the room there. We, I was so proud of her. When I saw her, I was like, is that our Samara Joy? Oh. But anyway, there were so many great surprises. Bonnie Rader, in addition to all the great storylines of, you know, Beyonce and Lizzo and everybody. Grammys came through again. Love it. All right, let's get a check of the weather for Miss Dylan Dreyer. Hey, Dylan. You know, you can feel cold, right? But how do you see cold? 
This is what cold looks like. This oh. is Mount Washington over the weekend. The wind chill was 108 degrees below zero. Gee, That's wow. the coldest wind chill ever recorded in the United Ooh. States. The actual air temperature was 47 degrees below zero, which ties a record back in 1934. So, yeah, that's what cold looks like. And guess what? It's in the past. We are warming things up. We are actually going to see some springtime high temperatures. Look at these numbers. Oklahoma City, 69 degrees today. Little Rock, 68. Nashville, 60 degrees. Chicago's 41. That's almost 10 degrees above average. Tomorrow, we'll get up to 50 in Pittsburgh. Atlantic City, close to 50. Charlotte, North Carolina, 62 degrees. Same in Paducah, Kentucky. Then as we go into later this week, Lexington hovers around 60 degrees for Wednesday and Thursday. Raleigh's in the 70s by Thursday. New York, we're close to 60 degrees by Friday. So all the colds in the past, get ready for a warm-up. It's going to arrive this week. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Did you all go outside, by the way, in that freezing weather? We did. I actually, it was minus two where we were, and I go, kids, let's run out in our PJs just to feel what it's like. I videoed us. Only me and Charlie went. Vail was like, how dumb do I look? She's like, I'm not like you guys. No, uh uh-uh. Mike was all posted up in bed with the covers like this. Um, Still ahead, guys, it's Super Bowl week. The Eagles and Chiefs gearing up for that epic clash, and Kaylee Hartung is getting us ready. Hey, Savannah, both teams have touchdown in Phoenix ahead of Super Bowl 57, and tonight is the only time that both teams will be in the same building ahead of Sunday's matchup. Expect the unexpected at Super Bowl opening night. Coming up, we'll fill you in on the biggest storylines to kick off football's biggest week. All right, look forward to it, Kaylee. Plus, an important consumer confidential for car shoppers from shifting prices and supply, what you need to know, and also the impact on that age-old question, should you buy new or should you buy used? But first, this is Today on NBC. Welcome back. 7.30. Ain't that pretty on a Monday morning? The rising sun, the rolling waves in Surfside Beach, South Carolina, Mr. Melvin. Uh, Let's get your headlines here this morning. We're going to begin with the latest surrounding those classified documents found at the homes of President Biden, former President Donald Trump and former Vice President Mike Pence. NBC News has learned U.S. officials are offering top congressional leaders a briefing on where each of those three investigations stand. That briefing could come as soon as this week, but it has not yet been scheduled. This morning, Hollywood is remembering actor Charles Kimbrough. He was best known for his role as news anchor Jim Dial on the hit series Murphy Brown. His performance earned him an Emmy nomination back in 1990. He also spent years in the New York theater scene, picking up a Tony nomination in 1971. Charles Kimbrough was 86 years old. All right, nobody took home the big prize in Saturday night's Powerball drawing, so that can only mean one thing. The jackpot's growing. That's right. Right now, it's worth a cool $747 million. That's the fifth largest Powerball jackpot of all time. The drawing is tonight, so you can get your tickets up until 10 p.m. Eastern. All right, now the countdown to another big Mm -hmm. event, Super Bowl 57. Fans couldn't ask for a better game than this one, by the way. The Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles, facing off in a battle of the top seeds. Both teams have touched down in Arizona. NBC's Kaylee Hartung joins us now with the very latest. Hey, Kaylee, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. History is being made in more ways than one with this Super Bowl matchup. And tonight, the party in Arizona really gets started with Super Bowl opening night. For the past few years, this event, like so many others, went virtual. But now, fans are back and able to be a part of the only night leading up to the big game, where you have both teams in the same building. The countdown clock has officially started. 
both the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, touching down in Phoenix Sunday for Super Bowl 57. Over the weekend, a warm send-off by hundreds of Eagles fans in Philadelphia, wishing their team good luck. And tonight, Super Bowl opening night kicks off football's biggest week in person for the first time since the pandemic started. A unique opportunity for fans to watch up close as players and coaches are interviewed by hundreds of media. Preparations for the big game are underway in Arizona. The official football's made. The final touches to State Farm Stadium added and traffic control in place. Now, with less than a week to go, all eyes are on Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and his high ankle sprain. After running his way to the AFC Championship, the QB saying recently he feels he's in a good spot. Mahomes will be making history alongside the Eagles' Jalen Hurts, becoming the first two black quarterbacks to start a Super Bowl matchup. And we can't forget the Kelsey brothers, a sibling rivalry that'll add another layer of entertainment or nerves for Donna Kelsey the first mother to have two sons play against each other in the Super Bowl. As Mama Kelsey told us on today, I'll just be so elated. Probably some tears. Fans launching a fast-growing petition to the NFL for Donna to perform the honorary pregame coin toss, now with more than 150,000 signatures. The latest betting odds have the Eagles a slight favorite. But no matter who you're rooting for, there's Rihanna's highly anticipated halftime show to look forward to which is why her longtime friend Adele says enthusiastically she'll be at the big game. Yes, I'm going just for Rihanna. <laughs> okay, that got us pumped for this. Uh, so, Kaylee, what does the rest of the week look like for the players? Yeah, so through the week, the Eagles, they'll be practicing at the Arizona Cardinals facility and the Chiefs will be at Arizona State. Now, this game, as we all well know by now, is being dubbed the Kelsey Bowl as these brothers match up for the first time in Super Bowl history. And one of them arguably has the most important preparations to make out of any of the players here. The Eagles' Jason and his wife will soon have their third child. Kylie Kelsey is heading towards 38 weeks. So the family announced her OB is coming with her to Phoenix. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. What a perfect That's solution. Wow. That's brilliant. By the way, Kobe's on the plane, the too. <laughs> Mama Kelsey does have to flip that coin. That I know. Y'all. Yes. That's right. a great idea. Brilliant. It could happen in NFL. All yeah. right, Kaylee. Uh, thank you. We're going to have a lot more on the big game coming up, including a Super Bowl sneak peek, a Super Bowl ad sneak peek. I hope we up. do Super Bowl food all week, too. We must. You know what? Yeah. Wings, the best. What do you call them? Bones with sauce? Bones yeah. sauce, yeah. <laughs> uh, first, though, before anything else, a new wrinkle in the difficult choice that, that's facing car shoppers. New or used? Sam Brock in a car on that story for us. Hey, Sam. Hey, Craig. Good morning. Some food for thought right now, which is that they've both been quite pricey the last few years. But the used car market now is really showing some promise. This, guys, as we're getting the new numbers on what new car sales are averaging in the United States right now, that answer is likely to shock you. The story coming up after the break. Back now, 739 with Consumer Confidential. It's our series around this time every morning that we focus on your bottom line. Okay, after two years of surging prices, car buyers are hoping to finally get back in the driver's seat as far as prices here in 2023. But with the market for used cars, now it's softening. New vehicles still setting those records with mm. sky-high prices. NBC's Sam Brock is in Miami. He's got some tips for shoppers. Hey, Sam. 
Uh, Craig Hoda, Savannah, good morning. Look, the reality right now is that the problems that have plagued the car industry for the last several years, including a shortage of supplies like microchips, are still there. The result of that is that the average cost for a new sale, a new car in December, guys, was almost $50,000 on average. The good news, though, supply is definitely starting to come back. That means that you're seeing new value propositions on the used car market. Our folks here at Carvana say their research shows that on average now a used car is selling for about $25,000 in 2022, down $5,000 from the year before. That is welcome news for those who have found themselves priced out. For drivers who've braved pandemic sticker shock, the road to buying a car hasn't just been bumpy. It's been a financial sinkhole. We couldn't really find anything brand new. And to, and the used cars were the prices of what we thought the brand new cars were going to be priced for. Brittany Alexander and Candon Rodriguez, just two of the car shoppers who bought or leased in the last year. Though they were still stunned to learn the average price tag for a new vehicle. In December, a staggering $49,507. When I told you $50,000, your reaction is what? That's terrible. That is. No, because like a lot of people don't make that annually. So how can you afford to buy a car if you don't have that money? In addition to soaring rents and inflated grocery bills, cars have also been pinching consumer wallets with some of the underlying issues like supply chain disruptions, lack of semiconductors and labor shortages still a problem, but stabilizing. I would say the situation has improved significantly on all three of those fronts, but there are still some constraints in the supply So we're not completely out of the woods. As vehicle supplies tick back up, you'll notice that there's a better selection of certain kinds of cars, the ones that turn a higher profit margin. You're still seeing automakers um, putting constraint components in high value cars. So the most profitable cars are the ones that they're willing to build. So pickups and SUVs are becoming more, you know, more available. This in turn has revved up the average cost of vehicles dramatically. But check out this split. While year-over-year inflation for new cars rose 6.2% in December, it plummeted 8.8% for used cars and trucks, a significant reversal. Carvana, the second largest used car retailer in the country, is expanding its signature car vending machines from 33 to 37 in the coming months, including the newest one in Denver. The company is optimistic about the new year and banking on a boost from tax season. Still, even with used car costs coming down, the industry-wide jolts has left many shoppers, like Miami lawyer Brooks LaRue, out of options. I don't see how anyone could afford a car right now, new or used, without going into significant debt. Yeah, he's echo- echoing a sentiment from a lot of folks there, Sam. Any idea on a timeline for when things might get a little bit better? Yeah, Craig, we do have a sense right now the crunch on semiconductors is expected to gradually ease over the course of the summer, which is to say that by the fall or even the winter, you're looking at larger car inventories, which means that those dealerships hopefully will start doling out incentives to buy cars once again, Craig. Mm-hmm. Sam, where are you on some kind of car carousel? <laughs> you were going up and then you went around. Yeah. It looked fun, but we're not familiar with that setting. Yeah, what we're is that? Miami. Miami. <laughs> exactly. I'm in Miami, so it's always an amusement of some kind. This is called a car vending machine. Okay. Seven floors high, guys. There are about four or five cars on each level. And the Ooh. amount of inventory they're doing and turning right now, I'm told, they go through a vending machine in a single day. So about 30 cars. You go out here, and instead of just going to a dealership and taking the car from the lot, you order it online, come up. They literally dispense the cars, this thing, as you can see. And I almost kicked it, but I did stand up straight, thankfully. Goes all the way down seven floors. The car comes out of the door 
There you go. You're wow. in your new Very cool. Oh, very I can do cool. this for a living. Sam, right. thank, thank you, you Sam. Like very cool. See in Vegas. Well, exactly. Rather than vending machine, you know where you're like kicking it, yeah, yeah, thing exactly. out, okay. jiggling it, get <laughs> the chips you, out. <laughs> all right, Miss Dylan, you got to check of the weather. Yeah, Looking we better. Get the convertibles now. Yeah. I mean, now yeah. that it's all nice and warm outside, everybody driving with the top down. We do have lots of sunshine expected for the northeast, the southeast, above average temperatures right through the middle of the country. Although we do have this cold front that's going to move eastward as it combines with some of those warmer temperatures, we are going to see the chance of some storms, especially as we go into tomorrow and. Wednesday. But in the meantime, enjoy the warm up. And that's your latest forecast. All right. Dylan, thank you. Raise your hand. And I know yours won't be going up. If you, <laughs> did you love a sleepover when you were a kid? I was a little oh. terrified, but I like it. I kind of liked it. Yeah. I love oh, it. Yeah. yeah. You weren't okay. at home. It's a debate. And yeah. apparently some parents are not really sure they're into sleepovers anymore. Some are saying we should ban the sleepover. No. Really? We'll explain Can't and get into it right after this. Who hates fun? <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> All right, we're back. Miss Chanel Jones, you're here with the story that is dividing the nation. Oh, I have so many <laughs> thoughts. Okay, so apparently a sleepover could be unfamiliar territory for some kids out there. Here's the deal. A growing online trend has some parents speaking out against sleepovers, saying they don't let their kids spend the night away from home. They argue that slumber parties bring on too many risks like viruses and bullying. Others say sleepovers are an essential right of childhood, helping kids gain the independence they need, as well as empathy for others. So what do you think? Take my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Take them. I feel like growing up, I always got anxiety going to sleepovers, but I'm the next morning, I was like, oh, that was You're so happy great. You're happy you did it. Yeah. I think there's some, if you really, really know the parents and the yes. family, I think it's probably still a good idea. I think that was, they were always fun. It was an exciting yes. place to wake yeah. up in someone else's and house. And if you didn't sleep, it was just, it is a yes. way it of is. growing up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it can't be like it was in the 80s with our no, parents. It was like, oh, where are you going? Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, you're right about yeah. that. But there are some kids, for example, at, you know, where my kids go to school, where it's known that those kids aren't allowed to have sleepovers. And uh-huh. so some of those kids almost feel kind of left out yeah. because right. all the other other kids are, are going you know, there. They, yeah. What's so, the I mean, age, though? Like, what? I mean. So, I, well, that's the thing. Some people say fifth grade yeah, okay. is fair. Yeah. Once, you know, if kids have problems, frankly, you know, wetting the bed at night, they're embarrassed, you know. So, I think yeah. fifth grade, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for my kids to be able to. <laughs> this man. I can't. Seriously. But like I also will ask no follow-up questions. Right. Right. Take like, all the sleepovers no. will be at your house. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I also understand that if you don't know the parents, you know. Yeah. I don't even have to know the parents. Yeah. Uh, still ahead on a Monday morning, a key figure from the Grammys All-Star Salute to 50 Years of Hip Hop last night, our one-on-one with the legendary Grandmaster Flash on the evolution and the importance of that genre. Also, he talks about creating a museum to celebrate it right here in New York City. 